Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Joining us today is Dr. Robert Moran, a psychiatrist and addictionologist in Palm Beach County here in Florida. We are going to talk about the drug methamphetamine. Dr. Moran, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Before we get started, it is critical to point out that any treatment or intervention decision for any person has to be the product of an individualized process. And if we discuss an intervention that sounds interesting to you, it is nonetheless for the purposes of education only because it may not actually be appropriate for a particular case. Okay. Methamphetamine is a stimulant, and it has been called ice when it's in its crystalline form and has other names. Is it similar, or how is it different than cocaine? Let's start there. There are a number of differences with cocaine, actually, and I'd like to start with one of the most prominent differences, and that is how long the effects generally last after use. So, for example, when people use cocaine, the effects generally last for a relatively short period of time. In some individuals, it may just be minutes. In others, it may be a bit longer, an hour or two. But with methamphetamine, the effects can last for many hours, often six, eight, 12 hours. That's extremely important because it will then determine whatever effect the individual is experiencing from the methamphetamine will continue for that long period of time. And as we talk more about what some of these effects are, it becomes more clear how troubling and how serious that can be. Do people therefore prefer the methamphetamine over the cocaine because of its duration? Often we will hear that that really makes it particularly appealing. But it seems to be more complicated than that and probably partly based on a genetic role. That is, people experience drugs in many different ways, both prescribed medicines and illicit substances. A large part of that distinction in how people experience drugs is, is certainly based on genetics. Some people are more sensitive to certain effects with cocaine. Others are more sensitive to certain effects uh, with methamphetamine. And we begin to see a distinction both in how one experiences it and the effect on the individual in terms of adverse effects. People who may experience a type of euphoria, for example, from cocaine, may not have the same type of euphoria from methamphetamine and vice versa. Why is it so dangerous? Why do people look at methamphetamine as maybe the most dangerous of all the illegal drugs? It's not completely clear what the reason is. Some people think that it has to do with the extent of the biologic effect that the methamphetamine has on the brain versus cocaine or other amphetamines. So for example, all of these substances, all of the amphetamines have their basic effect on the brain by increasing the neurotransmitter dopamine. They do it to a different extent. Methamphetamine does it most powerfully. And so the thinking is that that probably has a lot to do with what makes it so dangerous. And not only does it do it most powerfully, the effect goes on for a much greater period of time. One of the things that's very often confusing to people, and they've asked me, is they see the name amphetamines, and then they see that we use amphetamines for people with attention deficit disorder, and they become confused, they become concerned, and sometimes they become scared. Where are the differences between methamphetamine and the standard amphetamine that someone would take for a legitimate disorder? This is certainly a beautiful example of how making just a minor chemical adjustment in the molecule can create a very different type of substance. Amphetamines that we use and prescribe for such medical illnesses as attention deficit disorder have a much more controlled effect. And as we were talking before about the biology and the release of dopamine, the methamphetamine just seems to do it in a very 
powerful, uncontrolled way, if, if you will. It's very difficult to finely tune the effect because it's so powerful as opposed to the amphetamines that we prescribe for legitimate medical illnesses, we are able to adjust the effect in a much more therapeutic manner. Are there signs that someone is using methamphetamine? Do they act in certain ways? Well, the expression of the effect of methamphetamine can certainly vary from person to person, but it can be as diverse as being experienced as euphoria in one individual and frank psychosis in another individual and the entire spectrum of effect on both cognition and mood. Most people who begin to use methamphetamine experience the euphoria and that provides the positive reinforcement for ongoing repeated use. But it doesn't generally take much for someone to experience much more significant psychiatric effects, perhaps anxiety, paranoia, hallucinations. Some people even experience depression. Certainly anxiety is very common. So we see a whole array of expressions. This also tends to change over time in any individual. Most people tend to use it on occasion. Those who are unfortunate enough to actually become dependent upon it and, and use it very frequently tend to develop much more severe effects, psychiatric effects, but other neurologic effects, and, and certainly other medical effects. We know that a major effect of methamphetamine is to constrict blood vessels, and depending on the part of the body, we'll see symptoms. So, for example, people may present with chest pain or arrhythmias if those vessels are being constricted in the heart. If they're being constricted too much in the brain, we'll see a rise in body temperature. We could see stroke, seizures. So it depends on the individual what kinds of effects and how it's going to get expressed. Now, there is something that is rather common in chronic users and dubbed meth mouth. You see a poor dental hygiene, probably related to methamphetamine decreasing saliva production. And so you'll see that teeth are falling out, the mouth is dry, the tongue is dry. It leads to very significant dental problems. I've seen pictures of people who've been on methamphetamines for a long time. I think PBS actually did a special on it. I don't know when, but it was excellent. And they showed people before and after prolonged methamphetamine use. And you're absolutely correct. Look at their teeth and it looks horrible, just horrible. Yes, yes. They often look quite emaciated because as an amphetamine, as most amphetamines do, have the effect of decreasing appetite. Certainly methamphetamine goes even further by having much stronger effects. So people will go days without eating. And the chronic effect of that is just pure emaciation. What's scary about the methamphetamine use, and you alluded to it a few minutes ago, you said the occasional user versus the chronic user. I don't want to underplay the importance that occasional still doesn't take away the danger of this drug. Absolutely. Although, as we're learning more about addiction and recognizing the role of genetic and that the substances don't cause addiction, but they certainly can play a role in the vulnerable individual so that every person who uses a substance doesn't necessarily become addicted to it. That's not the same as saying that people are immune or safe from all of the other effects besides developing addiction. Methamphetamine, as I was saying before, can have a powerful effect on the cardiovascular system. So even occasional users can have unintended negative consequences on other organ systems. They can develop very significant problems just by using it occasionally. And it also passes the placenta. A young girl who may not know that she's pregnant, both she and the baby are having methamphetamine that day. 
Yes, and it's been pretty well established that a very common effect of methamphetamine on the developing fetus is to lead to premature delivery in a small uh, for gestational age fetus. Is it used alone or is it mixed with other drugs, alcohol, sedatives, marijuana, narcotics, or is it more of a standalone drug? It's often used alone. That seems to be more related to what's available to the individual, but the preference often seems to be methamphetamine if an individual has the option of using methamphetamine and other drugs. That person, at least in my experience, tends to favor the methamphetamine. Only if the methamphetamine is not there and access to other drugs is available do we tend to see it used with the other substances. I want to get to some of the interventions and treatments in a moment, but one of the topics that keeps coming up in all of substance abuse, it's known as gateway drugs. Do people migrate into methamphetamine use? Is it the first drug that they use? Do we have any sense of does a start in high school with a little alcohol, a little marijuana, and work its way up? Any sense about that? I don't think we have very good studies looking particularly at where methamphetamine falls into that spectrum and in that evolution. But we often see that people who end up favoring and becoming dependent on opiates often start with cannabis or marijuana and alcohol. And this progresses to some dabbling with some of the stimulants like cocaine in particular, maybe some of the hallucinogens, but then quickly to opiates. And they tend to just stay with opiates till treatment or some adverse consequence. But with methamphetamine, a common evolution of the drug use is beginning with cannabis and then moving quickly to methamphetamine if that person tends to be exposed, if it's in the environment, or we see a lot of the methamphetamine being that introductory illicit substance. Again, it seems to depend on access and just the immediate culture. Methamphetamine is quite prevalent in various parts of the country, for example, the West, particularly California, Oregon, the Midwest, some of the southern states. And what we hear is that people in the small towns where methamphetamine may be quite prevalently used, they may be introduced to it that way, someone who has never had an alcohol or drug problem, and quickly become hooked, if you will. What does an overdose look like? There can be, and often are, psychiatric manifestations of that. Again, paranoia, psychosis is very common in an overdose, but we also see other physical expressions of that. We see a rise in heart rate, blood pressure, body temperature. At a certain point, muscle begins to break down and can actually lead to kidney failure. It becomes a very dangerous situation and immediate medical attention is necessary. Which then is a nice little segue into treatment. How hard is it to stop methamphetamine use? How do you go about taking someone off of methamphetamines? Treatment can be very effective. The most difficult step generally is getting someone into treatment because methamphetamine has changed the brain as it does in other addictions, but it has changed the brain seemingly in a more powerful way. It has such a powerful effect on that dopamine system and now we have evidence that it frequently destroys those dopaminergic neurons. We use dopamine and those dopaminergic neurons for many functions, not just receiving pleasure or euphoria, but for actually making decisions for cognitive function. And so we're trying to reason with someone to get into treatment by appealing to their cognition, which is impaired by the methamphetamine use. So getting someone into treatment is usually the most difficult step. Once we get them into treatment, treatment can be very effective. It has to be done on on an inpatient or residential basis because it's very difficult for the person who has become dependent on methamphetamine to refrain from using it. Attempting to treat on an outpatient basis 
generally doomed to failure, with the exception of very highly motivated people, perhaps with some type of potential legal consequences if they were to relapse and with a very strong support system. That individual may succeed without patient treatment. But the idea is to get the person away from temptation and to provide a structured, supportive environment, helping them to deal with the inevitable craving that he or she is going to experience as a result of and part of the withdrawal syndrome. That sounds like it's more of a psychological process than a physical process, assuming that you can repair the body and let their body reach a, a decent balance. That's certainly a component of it. I think that ultimately it really is a physical process that we're talking about because what we are hoping will happen as a result of bringing the person into treatment and keeping that person away from the toxic substance is for those pathways in the brain to recover or to heal and for the return of healthy cognitive function so that that person can then respond to the psychosocial intervention. Do we have any medicines that are available for methamphetamine use? Well, there certainly has been a fair amount of attempts at using the medicines that we have available to help with methamphetamine dependence. Right now, we don't have anything approved by the FDA. Some people have been found to be helped with medicines that work on the dopamine system, such as bupropion or even methylphenidate or maybe even dextroamphetamine. The studies haven't revealed overwhelming promise. On an individual basis, it's certainly often worth trying certain medicines. Part of what drives relapse is this efficiency, so to speak, of the dopamine that has been created by the chronic methamphetamine use. And so if we replace what the brain is craving, then perhaps we can decrease the desire to seek the illicit substance that will stimulate the same dopamine system. We're hoping that there will be similar medicines with similar mechanisms in the future that might be more successful. How long would someone need to be in treatment before, and I'm going to use the word very liberally, they're cured or are they never cured? Addiction in general is a chronic illness and we don't really talk about cure in the same way that we talk about hypertension and diabetes being chronic illnesses. The norm is that there are relapses throughout one's illness and the general treatment plan is to help people through those relapses and help to certainly limit the extent of the relapses treatment can be very effective if we're able to retain the individual in treatment as long as possible. But from a practical standpoint, it seems that there's something semi-magical about that 90-day period, that the brain has been away from the toxic substances for a good three months and has often recovered to a point where we're able to really appeal to the individual in a psychosocial way and help him or her build the coping mechanisms, which are really translating into to better prefrontal function and therefore being better able to inhibit impulses and control craving. And that seems to be for a large number or the average number of people about that three-month period. But that really is just setting the foundation so that we often see that people continue to change and improve and progress over the course of an entire year, typically, before they really reach a very healthy plateau and are able to deal with the types of stressors and cues that might otherwise create 
for the craving and relapse. One of the things that has become a major topic of discussion in our field, and, and rightly so, is sometimes referred to as the developing adolescent brain, that the brain really hasn't matured, and we now know that parts of that maturation process go into the 20s. So it would seem to me that it would really complicate things if a 17 or 18-year-old started using methamphetamine with its effect on the dopamine, and then the brain is trying to just do its maturation. Is there an increased risk if someone starts using it in their teenage years versus someone who is using it in their mid-20s when the brain is more mature. Any sense of that? Not only do we see this on a clinical level, but the studies tend to show that if people can make it to about 20 years without using substances, then the likelihood of ever developing substance dependence is markedly reduced. And that probably has a lot to do with the maturation of the brain and how it's able to deal with any illicit substances causing this ultra-stimulation of that dopamine system in the, in the pleasure center. Adolescents, especially young adolescents exposed to substances that brain is in a very dynamic type of state and new pathways are being laid down and the frontal cortex is changing very dramatically and the substances really interfere with that process more easily than in the adult brain and it changes the whole path of development. Dr. Robert Moran is a psychiatrist and a addictionologist in Palm Beach County in Florida. He has been generous enough to talk to us a little bit about a very complex and critically important problem, uh, namely that of methamphetamine. Thank Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much.